Listener Production. Automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with F1 broadcaster and Drive to Survive storyteller Will Buxton. If you haven't heard part one, jump back to the library and have a listen. It's a great reminder that persistence pays off and that you can create opportunities around things that you truly love even if, like most of us, you don't have that rare driving talent that the champions possess. From the lasting impressions motorsport had on him at an early age to writing for magazines on the sport that consumed him, Formula One, and a move into broadcasting and a stint in IndyCar. Plus, how the media world helped him sample life as a racer and competing. A little behind the wheel. We begin part two by delving into Drive to Survive. How the chance to be involved in this incredibly successful Netflix series came about and what it's like to be a part of. So the first thing I knew about it was Sean Bratches, who was head of commercial at Formula One when Liberty took over Formula One, um, who's one of the most inspirational leaders uh i've ever worked with uh just just a really cool guy massively enthusiastic about everything and he was kind of walking through the office in london one day and he was just like yo will we're doing this thing and you got to be a part of it and i was like what is it and so he kind of explained it (laughs) and i'm like so what do i have to do he's just like nothing they're just gonna ask you some questions like five times a year it's like okay i can do that that's easy um and it's actually not like you know i can ask questions but being asked questions is really difficult. Um, so I just, yeah, so I just sat down in a, you know, in a dark room with uh, with these guys from Netflix five times during that first season and for sort of four or five hours at a time just answered questions about, you know, what's going on, trying to bring context to it. And a lot of really simple questions, um, you know, that I know the fans absolutely hate when I, when I, when I try and explain it. But it, this, you know, what I realised, obviously, and what, what we do realise now is is so much of it is about explaining to non-fans things that we take for granted things that we you know we 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 look at and you know when i say something stupid like you know you know qualifying is important because it's where you start the race on sunday and obviously the higher you can start up the grid the better off you are in the race you know but if you've never watched a formula one race you never watched motor racing in your life you might be asking what's qualifying or you know whatever it's a tightrope ball, that stuff, mate, isn't it? Because you are appealing to the legion of new fans, which the sport has now garnered. And at the same point, we've got to look after and fence in the good folk who've been with us the whole way along that are ultra loyal. Yeah, and ultimately that was something we had to do at NBC a lot. Um, we knew that the figures, you know, when I was working stateside, were growing all the time. And we knew that we would have people watching the broadcast who'd been watching it for 30 seconds and people who'd been watching it for 30 years. And you had to speak to both. So sometimes you do have to experience things and you just hope that the you know the long-term fans will kind of look past that and realize oh okay that's not for me that bit but you know it's 
five seconds so it doesn't matter you know i can get past that and move to the next bit but look i don't think anyone was expecting drive to survive to be as successful as it has been and i think a lot of it came actually out of necessity and a little bit by mistake and that's because in season one mercedes and ferrari who were the two championship protagonists at the time wanted nothing to do with it and so you had no content from the championship protagonist so yeah they had to look for other stories and in looking for other stories they found all these great human narratives and they found sweary gunther and you know obviously we know how wonderful he is but the world didn't know how brilliant daniel ricardo was and you know they found him and all these great storylines all these these really fascinating parts that made drive to survive you know what it was really came out of that necessity um so huge success and and really you know a blueprint of how to how to promote a sport to people who've never watched it before and might have ordinarily looked at it and said that's not for me are now you know tuning into it turning around at the end and saying i want to watch the next race and that that's i just i think it's it's incredible you know look it's not a silver bullet it's not a silver bullet for for every single sport but it's really interesting how many sports uh, be they sporting leagues or be they championships whatever whatever are saying we need a you know we need a drive to survive um it's 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 been huge it's been absolutely massive uh, without giving away any any trade secrets of it maybe share with our listeners if you can a, a bit about the you know the volume of people it takes to to do it um some of the people behind the scenes maybe the bit of the planning that goes into it and and are you in you know not just the the narrative storytelling that you've been doing so well mate but are you offering a little bit of hey you know um We've got to follow this person. They're they're a they're a great character, or, or this is going to be a storyline this weekend, and things like that. Uh, I'm not no, and that often gets confused. People think that I have something to do with the production and mm. the decision over the narrative, and uh, you know, making the, the heroes and the villains. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I have nothing to do with that. If I did, I would probably have focused on some different things mm-hmm. and 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 taking things a slightly different way but that's not my that's not my choice mm. um that's in, that's entirely down to them and you know they've got people like james gay reese who was behind the senna movie um you know and paul martin who was you know, behind that and the maradona documentary and things like that. they know how to tell stories and they know also what kind of stories work like you know lando norris wasn't really a part of the series at all uh, until season three. And that's because in his rookie season, it was kind of like, you know, young kid comes in, does well. It's, there's, no, there's no redemption arc. There's no rise and fall. Um, similarly, you know, like, I think, you know, season four, there's, there's not really any mention at all of Kimi Raikkonen. Um, and a lot of people said, why, why wasn't he mentioned? It's like, well, world champion struggles through his final season, phones it in for a bit, you know, and retires with a couple of points to his name. Like, it's not... Mm. It's not, it's not a great story. So they focused more on things that that they, that they believe are the more highs and lows, rise and fall. It's all gone wrong. Oh, and here's the redemption. You know, mm. that's that's what they're going for. Um, there's a huge team on the ground, but they can't be everywhere. You know, unless you've got a five man crew doing audio, doing uh, you know two cameras, um, everything. You know, you know how much it takes to to mm. film uh, on a on a crew. Unless you've got a crew with every race team, 
at every Grand Prix 23 times a year, you're never going to, and even then you're not going to catch everything. Yep. So I think there's usually a team of around 10 of them at a Grand Prix. They'll usually base themselves with two teams per race weekend. Certainly under COVID, they were far more restricted in where they could go per weekend because we all had to stay in the, our little COVID bubbles team by team. Um, huge editing team back at base um, and an audio team and, you know, the myriad of people that it, that it takes to put together a, a television program. Um, and then, you know, they, they pull us in to do interviews through the year, drivers, team bosses, uh, and, and a couple of us as journalists. And I'll sit down with them about five times a year uh, throughout the season, uh, always trying to wear the same clothes so that they can edit between. <laughs> and it looks like they've just, you know, and it looks, you know, and so you get people saying, oh, they've just sat you down after the season and given you a script. It's like, honestly, I've, I spend probably 25 hours a year in interview. If I was that bad at reading a script that it took me 25 hours, I should be doing something <laughs> very different. Um, so, um, and, and, and also, mate, you know me, right? This is how I talk. Yes. If I dramatically paused between every <laughs> few words... <laughs> <laughs> we'd never get we'd never get through a conversation also yeah. you know no one would live with me so there's obviously you know there's a little bit of editing in there and mm. zhuzhing it up um but it works I, I don't mind the memes and all of that it's, it's quite fun because ultimately what it's done is it's created this you know it's created this 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 crazy successful series um that isn't just about bringing figures to Netflix. It's about bringing new fans, new eyeballs to the sport. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been huge for that, dude. Most massively. I mean, if, you, if someone said to you at the commencement um, of it all that it would have the impact that it's had now, would you have, would you have believed that? I mean, obviously, some very good people behind the scenes, as you've just, you've just detailed, but it has, been, it has been collectively made a runaway success, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think anyone expected it. You know, not even Sean Bratches or the, or the guys at Box to Box Films that make it. I, I don't think anybody knew that it would be this huge. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it took everybody by surprise. And uh, I guess that the big thing now is how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it moving? How do you, how do you get back to that season one? You know, this is, this is something really different. This is something really new. And how do you stop the the people who are a part of it from becoming a caricature of themselves, um, you know, because that's quite difficult. Um, you know, uh, Christian you becoming even more Christian and, and Toto becoming even more Toto. And um, it's just, it, it, no, no, nobody knew it was going to be this successful. No, because Formula One is so popular. Mm. Formula One has so many viewers globally. You kind of thought, well, how... How is this little show going to going to add to that? And it's because ultimately it spoke to fans that were waiting, yeah. that didn't know they were fans. Um, and that's, yeah, that's why it's been so good. I mean, to the proof, uh, I mean, we, as you and I talk, we are gearing up for the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, which is a sellout, I think, on Sunday. And, and as we talk, nearly the same on, on Saturdays. The reaction in Australia is um, is absolutely huge. And we haven't had a race for two years. So in that time frame, we've seen a lot of what we're talking about here now. And that's that's had an impact. There's been, there are people that have definitely bought tickets that I don't think have been to the race before. And it's clearly because of Drive to Survive. 
Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about IndyCar earlier. Mm. And when I was over at St. Petersburg, Florida, for the first race of the year, the number of people walking around in Grosjean T-shirts who were at the IndyCar race because they'd watched Drive to Survive and had become Roman Grosjean fans because of that episode where... That's tremendous. Know, he, said, mm. he, you know, he went through the barrier and the car set on fire. So it's having influence not just in F1, but in, you know, the, sort of the rising tide lifting all ships. I think it's, it's increasing an interest in, in motorsport in mm. general because people are realizing how incredible, you know, racing drivers are uh, and what they put themselves through and that, you know, behind the visor, there are these fascinating complex athletes uh, that exist underneath it all. So that's fan that's absolutely fantastic. And we saw it in Austin last year as well. Mm. You know, leaving the track, um, I'd never seen anything like it. It, it, it. You couldn't drive out of the road because it it was just full of people stopping every car, whether it was full of mechanics and engineers or a team boss or a driver. They just wanted Huge. photos and autographs and and you know, speaking to some of the folks there. Again, it was their first race. They'd never watched Formula One more than twelve months ago. Like. And they were there in the team kit and they were, you know, completely devoted McLaren fans Mm. or completely devoted Charles Leclerc fans or whatever it was. And and because that that was their driver. That's what that's what got them into it. Yeah. Huge. Absolutely huge. Right. Before we wrap up Drive to Survive, does the storytelling because I think people can pick it up from our podcast discussion here. It's just you. So I'm assuming they must come to you and go, okay, we, we need you to help us link to this and, and maybe have some dot points or whatever it is. But then it is just Will Buxton in conversation that gets us there. Is that is that the process? Is that how it happens? Yeah. T- I mean, sometimes they'll be like, um, uh, yeah, as, as we sort of said earlier, like, okay, so can you explain how the sprint race format will work for this year? And I just go, sure, okay, so sprint races are blah, 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 blah. But then sometimes they'll they'll be like, okay, what kind of a racing driver is Lewis Hamilton? And so I'll just give them an answer. And it's just a conversation like we're having here. Although, you know, when you're sat in that chair and there's the light on and the camera and all (laughs) of that, you know, they're firing questions at me and I'm sort of, I'm thinking in real time. And what I'm thinking is, okay, what do I need to say? What do I need to say that also, you know, doesn't sound like it's biased or that I'm getting too excited about one driver and not about another? How do I not be unfair as well? I I need to try and keep it very, very balanced. So there's a little bit of brain whirring around while I'm while I'm giving the answer, which I guess leads to the um, the pauses, you know, Um, (laughs) but they're a bit more pronounced in the edit uh but um yeah man it's just as i said dude it's five hours of interview at a time five times a year so you know i'll sit down and they'll have like 20 pages of questions and we'll get to the end of the and we'll get to the end of the five hours and we've got through like six pages um so (laughs) they're like right yeah we're gonna have to pick this up again in, in in a few months i'm like okay and so it's it's great but What's really interesting is, you know, sometimes you'll say something and then you'll say it because it was right at the time. And obviously it then ends up being totally wrong. And sometimes you have foreshadowed something that's about to happen. Um, you know, it, it just it, it really depends. It, it depends. And obviously, you know, when you get to it, there's uh, f- from what everybody said, you know, there's 19 hours and 45 minutes of content that is on the cutting room floor. 
um, but the 15 minutes of, of, of actual, you know, stuff that's clipped up and used in the program um, is used to, you know, to kind of highlight the, the, the narrative arc that they, that, that they want to show. Recap the Bahrain Grand Prix with three emojis. One, Monegosque flag. Two, Spanish flag. Three, Dutch flag. Wait, I mean Mexican flag. Holy shit, the British flag. On paper, does the 2022 season, do you think, um, have the ingredients for another great season of Drive to Survive? And there are many elements to that. There is George Russell getting a, a plum seat um, along, you know, alongside Lewis Hamilton at, at Mercedes. There are brand new cars which are captivating everyone's imagination. Uh, what do you think? Totally. And, you know, look, I, I, I'm not part of the production of, of Drive to Survive in terms of putting it all together. And so people will always say, oh, he's always going to be very biased and say it's, you know, only positive things about it. But I think, I think everybody can, if they've seen series four, that, you know, a lot of people have said it's maybe not as strong as previous seasons or, you know, whatever. Um, and I think some of that feeling possibly comes down to the fact that for the first time they had a world championship fight to show. And so a large percentage, probably, probably about 50% of the show is really geared towards showing that world championship fight. So actually you kind of lose some of those little storylines and some of those really interesting personal stories that made the first three series so Seasons. strong. Yeah. Hmm. So I think what season four will hopefully give the guys making the show is a lesson in how to get that balance right if there's a season five and if we get a championship fight like we had in in 2021 to bring out those really interesting behind the scenes stories that we don't know but also keep that excitement of a thrilling world championship fight on track the ingredients certainly are there you know we've just we, we, i think this this completely clean sheet of paper new cars really not knowing what the competitive order will be or how it will change over the races through the year because the rate of development will be so vast and who's fastest at the start of the season will not necessarily be the team that's fastest by race six and then that order will change again by race 10 and then it will change again by race 15 and it's you know a 22 23 race season so this the ebb and flow of it i think is going to be i think it's going to be incredible and i think it's going to be i think it's going to be an amazing season um you know, I, I, and and who's going to be world champion at the end? I, I dude, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I have no idea. I'm not going to ask you to predict that because I reckon that's always hard, particularly at the, the foot of a massive mountain, a huge championship to come. What about a couple of observations? Firstly, did you genuinely worry that Lewis might not come back? I mean, he seems like, if anything, it has hardened his determination unbelievably to come back for all those world titles and and to be be as hungry each time and if anything um the observation some of your colleagues are making is he seems if it's at all possible hungrier than ever yeah i mean look lewis was was obviously um extremely put out by by the final race in abu dhabi and and in how it went down but lewis isn't the type of guy who Let's a situation like that um, push him away. He's not that. His personality isn't 
uh, you know, to, to walk away from difficulty or to allow difficulty to tell him that he can't. He uses it as motivation to show people that he can. It's what he's done all the way through his career. And especially over recent years, um, in everything that he's been very vocal about, had he walked away, I think that would have undone a lot of the message that he's been portraying. Yeah. So Working I never so hard on. Yeah, yeah. and I, I never believed for a minute that he would walk away. I, I genuinely didn't because then then the the dark forces that that you think are working against you have won, and that's mm. not Lewis. He's not going to allow no. that to win. So no, first of all, I never thought he would walk away. Secondly, I mean, we saw in the tail end of twenty twenty one what Lewis Hamilton looks like when you push him up against a wall. And he comes out swinging, like hard. And he in, he was unstoppable, almost unbeatable. Probably the best version of Lewis Hamilton I have ever seen. So you put that guy then into a, a whole season with that kind of motivation and more motivation because of Abu Dhabi than he had in those last four or five races. It could be the best version of Lewis that we've ever seen. You know, he wants to come out and demolish the field. The question then, if you're Mercedes, is how do you deal with that? Because, sure, great, you've got a guy here who wants to come out and obliterate everyone, but if he obliterates everyone, that includes George Russell, who you've just promoted to your top team as the future of your team. If Lewis obliterates everyone, that includes George, and that doesn't mean just clipping his wings, but snapping them probably off and subjugating him not just into a, a wingman role, but, you know, he could completely obliterate him. But then if George turns up and is competitive and is pushing Lewis, how do they... How do they deal with that without, without turning that into a Rosberg situation? So that's a, a fascinating narrative for me, is how Mercedes deal with what could be quite a spicy situation between their drivers. How will Max grow from the, the, the title win and what observations have you perhaps made in that regard already? I, th- I think Max's greatest, streak, uh, greatest strength is also his greatest weakness, and that is the team around him constantly and unwaveringly telling him that he can do no wrong. It gives him the confidence to go and push, get his elbows out, be the racer that we see in the world champion that he's become. But then it also means that if he does step over the line, as he can sometimes do, the team still tell him, no, 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 you're in the right. So I wonder if the learning creeps in Mm. or if he keeps consistently doing the same thing because he's constantly told no don't worry about it everyone else has got it right and you've got it wrong um i do think he has grown i do think he has has learned has had to learn since he came into the sport and he's a far more rounded driver and person than he was you know even even 18 months two years ago um I also love that what we saw throughout 2021 was both lewis and max trying to figure each other out uh, you know, Lewis at Silverstone, he knew what he was doing. He put his car exactly where he needed to to force Max into a decision. You know, either you back out of this or you're going in the wall. And Max ended up in the wall. Um, you know, and, and throughout the year, they were both they were both trying to figure each other out. Um, and Lewis learned very quickly that Max isn't the kind of driver to back out. Max isn't the kind of driver who's going to let you have the corner. And so... Lewis had to amend the way that he drove because of that. Max has, has never changed. And I, I, I do love that element of Max that he doesn't get bullied and he won't be moved 
Um, but as I say, you know, that comes from the people around him and it is his greatest strength, but it, it, it can be his undoing. The new cars, what do you think of them? So I think they look great. I was really worried they were going to look quite big and bulky. Um, they look fantastic. They're clearly difficult to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that the racing is as good as the regulations intend it to be. Um, but what I think is, is, is most brilliant is a lot of people were worried that with sort of a tightening of the, of the technical regulations, we would essentially have 10 cookie cutter cars that would all look the same and, and that it would be you know, not Formula One. What we've got are 10 completely different takes on the regulations. And that's brilliant because it just shows the level of ingenuity and innovation that still exists within the sport that you can give what are essentially very prescriptive regulations to these genius designers and engineers. And they've come up with 10 completely different approaches to it. So it's just it's, it's to the point where, you know, Ross Braun during the test in Bahrain, you know, looked at that new Mercedes and they've had a department online for a year that has been going through these regulations, trying to do every single variance of how a team could design a car around these regulations to find the loopholes. He looked at that new Mercedes and said, yeah, we hadn't hadn't anticipated anybody Bought was going to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. Crazy. Mate. Crazy. Before we wrap up, just the um, the thoughts, if you will, on the on the potential things in in twenty twenty two. An Aussie flavored question. Ooh. One, do you think this car may suit Dan Ricciardo a little better? And that may be hard to answer because as we talk, he's had COVID and they've had some brake issues at McLaren. And what are your observations on on Oscar Piastri's talent and and what we hope he could maybe do one day in Formula One? So. The Dan question is a really difficult one because he missed so much of preseason testing because the car itself experienced so many problems during that that three days in Bahrain. Car's quick. I joked it's so quick they can't stop it because they've got brake issues. Um, look, Ferrari have clearly taken a step forward. Has Ferrari moved up into the top three and McLaren stayed steady where they were in fourth? That's a I think what would be crazy cool is this is if you know we get a battle for the championship between McLaren and Ferrari and Red Bull and Mercedes that are a little bit behind because they'd focus so much on 2021 um that would be really cool and you know these cars are a blank sheet of paper and I think what we have to do is look at 2021 which was a carryover year and the car in 2021 was very much a development of the car in 2020 which wasn't designed for Dan it wasn't designed for his driving style for what he likes and he really struggled to adapt to it. But in talking to him last year, particularly at the end of the season, he said that last year was hugely important for him because there was a lot about his racecraft that he'd always just taken for granted, that he'd driven naturally. And in having to understand why things were going so badly at McLaren, he had to take himself apart piece by piece to figure out what was going wrong. And in taking himself apart piece by piece to figure out what was going wrong, he also learned how and why the things that he does do right he does right. So it actually allowed him to really piece himself together again and learn why he's quick and how he can maximize all those things. So actually last year, I think would have been incredibly beneficial for him um, and potentially create an even more potent force than, than he's ever been. So if the car's on point, I think, I don't think we ever need to question Daniel. It's Daniel. He's phenomenal. Um, but I think he could be even better than, 
than we've ever seen him. But it is a huge year for Daniel. He has to perform because we know McLaren have waiting in the wings. Patricio Award, who's doing brilliantly in IndyCar, they love him. They've tested him. He's impressed them tremendously. And Patricio himself has said it's going to be, you know, next year or the year after, if he's going to make a move to Formula One, that it has to happen. McLaren have also done this deal with Colton Herter in IndyCar to bring him through and give him some some time and some training. And although we don't think Colton would race with McLaren in Formula One, if he impresses, there's always that potential. So Dan has to have a good year. Lando's locked in for the long term. So Dan has like has to have a good year. His his future at McLaren literally depends on it. As for Oscar, I I just I can't believe he's not racing. It baffles mm. me, you know. This this is this is a kid who's Lewis Hamilton good, you know. Charles Leclerc good. He's cool. he's no, but he is. You know, you look mm. at you look at what he's, what he's done achieved so far, yeah, mm. and how he's achieved it year on year, just in championship. Pow, step up, championship. Pow, step up, championship. You know, there aren't many drivers that can do that. Lando didn't do that, you know. Um, George did it, but not quite as fast. Oscar's, Oscar's next level. Um, it, it breaks my heart that there aren't enough seats or that he didn't ultimately get the nod, but um, I can't for a moment believe that he won't be in Formula One in 2023. If he isn't, there's something seriously wrong. We hope he is, mate. I mean, he does. it does seem like he's got an absolute bucket load of talent and patriotically there's a lot of people that would love to see a, a, another Aussie in there. couple to wrap up on. Firstly, uh, your schedule must be nuts, mate. So between things like the post-show on Twitter, some of the digital content you're doing, the great stuff for Motorsport TV this week with Will Buxton and so on. And even as you have done, so we're loaning your voice to uh, to the official game and so on. I mean, it's just, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a great old cliche, but it's living the dream, mate, isn't mate, it? You know? mate, it's, it's, it's great. It, it really is great. Um, I'm, I'm actually doing fewer races this year than I, than I, than I ever have done before I think COVID has given us all the chance to take stock, to reflect on on what's important. I love my sport, I love my job, um, but I love my family and my friends, and you know, and, and my little girl. And and you know, you, you you dedicate so much of your life to trying to create a career. Um, and and this year, I've I've really taken the time to think. Actually, I need to spend. I need to spend more time with the people that are really, really important to me. So um, I'm only going to 12 races this year. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm doing 12 races on site, uh, a few races back in, in the UK as well. But that means a return to commentary, which is, is going to be great. So I'm going to be doing Formula One commentary on F1 TV, um, both at the track and from, from back at base as well. Um, so that's going to be... It's going to be really great. It's going to be really fun, but it will allow me a bit more time. I'm getting married this year as well, so it allows me a bit Congrats. more time to to thank you. Uh, it allows me a bit more time just to, you know, get that that work life balance right because uh, I yep. think I think that's really important. And I think if we've learned anything over the last two years, it's it's the the real necessity to do that. Most definitely. To finish, is there? A bucket list, I mean, you're done. IndyCar, I think there's a little bit of WRC on the CV as well. Yeah. A love of Formula One, we know that. Is there, you know, a little something that you'd like to tick the box on one day in a broadcast or media sense? And, and if so, what is that? Um, I'd like to conduct an orchestra 
Um, I mean, that's not something you can do overnight. That takes a hell of a lot of time and training. There used to be a TV show in the UK where they took people and trained them up to be a, a conductor. Um, and that, 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 that sort of dropped off fairly quickly. But I always thought that was a great idea for a TV show. Um, bucket list thing. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to do that. Um, that, would be, that would be absolutely huge. Um, I don't know, Matt. Look, I, how can I say I have a bucket list of things to do when for 20 years I've been able to write and talk about this sport that I love? You know, if it was to all yep. end tomorrow, I could say that I have, I have done everything I ever, I ever hoped that I could do and more. Um, it's, I, I, just, I just feel tremendously grateful um, to, to be doing this, mate. It's, it's mad. It's, it's, it's more than the 13-year-old the me ever, ever thought I'd be able to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful for it. And I'm living the bucket list, mate. I just, I love it. love every second of it. Well done. Finally. What's in the Will Buxton garage? Is there a two-wheeler, a car? <laughs> is there is there a resto project in the pipeline? Come on, uh, to finish. In, so in the Will Buxton garage is um, lots of cushions for the outside seating areas. <laughs> uh, pots of pots of half-used paint, um, a fridge freezer. Um, I'm not so here's the thing right everyone's like yeah. oh you must have like a crazy garage full of cars but I'm not a car guy right like I had my I had my midlife even my midlife crisis car isn't very impressive my midlife crisis it's, car what's that? it's a it's a Mercedes C300 uh, soft top right it's not even a Porsche right I didn't even get that right so you know like um no, I've, I've, it's, the, it's the craziest thing. No, look, I don't have the time to do a restoration project and I'm so cack-handed that it would never work anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I traditionally have never got the right car. Um, I've, yeah, it's just, it's honestly, mate, it's embarrassing. It's really, really embarrassing. Yeah. One day, hopefully, I will, I will get to own like a Morgan, which I, I grew up in Malvern, so on the Malvern Hill. So yeah. owning a Morgan is like a, that's like a, a, a huge pipe dream. Or actually... Bucket list is is I'd love to own a Ferrari Dino. That's my dream car. So, but uh, but I'm terrible because I always think you know you live in the now and you've got to enjoy your life now. So I don't save. I just I don't. So I'm never going to afford that big house. I'm never going to afford that great car because dude, it could all end tomorrow. And what's the bloody point of it if it's all sat in an account? Just enjoy. That, that is engraved. It is engraved on the back of your watch, mate. Is it not? Did you not it get is, a, yeah. something? Yeah. Yes. What does it say? It says there is only now. Um, there is only now. You know, don't, don't worry about the things that have gone. You can't, can't change them. Don't worry about what's to come because it's not here yet. Just dude, there is, I mean, you know, People might think that's a bit, bit sort of silly and, and pathetic and all that. But no. there is, there is. I think we spend so much time worrying about what we've done, decisions we've made, and we won't make, spend so much time freaking out about what's going to come in the future. But you know, it's like it's like the hourglass, isn't it? The sand that's gone, mm. you can't push back up, and you don't know how much sand you've got at the top. You just got to worry about that little bit in the middle. You know, day by day, yep. just in, enjoy every day, and have fun, man. There's only now. That's it. Well, the now has been you and I talking and it's been an absolute delight, mate. Congratulations on getting to do things like hosting the Autosport Awards in addition to everything else. I mean, Thank the fact you, that buddy. you have 
in, in some ways, you know, to, to have that all kind of come full circle in starting out the way that you did and doing some some terrific things like that and, and um, enjoy the, the year of balance and hopefully it's a cracking season for, for Drive to Survive. Well done. Thank you, mate. And thank you so much for inviting me on. It uh, it means a huge amount, mate, because you know how much I, I respect you, everything that you do um, and how appreciative I am for your friendship, buddy. It's uh, It means a lot. It's been great to chat, mate. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series editor and producer is Ed Gooden. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. If you've got a guest suggestion, get in touch with me via social media. The Garage. It's where a journey begins with a tank full of passion fuel stories. Listener.